Identity Talk. I'm your host, Jana Lopez. Thank you for sharing your time with me. My mission is to create deeper conversations with dynamic people from all walks of life about uncovering meaning about who we are and how we come to see ourselves. Words and identity are my life. I'm the author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. I teach online writing workshops called Write About Now and offer one-on-one transformative coaching sessions that break you through to deeper clarity and connection with yourself through a guided process I call See-Through Words. When it comes to navigating identity funky junk, it's time for straight talk. Get ready for real stories, real connection, and real hope mixed with humor and a whole lot of love. You're now part of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Welcome to Identity Talk. My guest with me today is Brandon Cook. Brandon is multifaceted and super interesting. And whenever I think of somebody who truly engages in a search for self, he's one of the first people that comes to mind. Although he is a musician and he plays guitar for a number of bands, really cool bands, Black and Blue and Appetite for Deception, which is a Guns N' Roses tribute band and a new band called The Loyal Order, which has been amazing. He also does many other things. He's multifaceted. And I think when it comes to having conversations He's willing to go there. So I was like, I I wanted him on because I knew it was going to be a great conversation. So thank you for Mm -hmm. being here. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, So happy to to get to chat with you on on your show today. And when you say I I like to go there, that's uh, I've been I've been going there pretty deep for for quite some time doing counseling. And I'm in a group called the Mankind Project that um, has really been helpful for me and uh, I've done some other types of therapy to, to really help get down into the introspection, I guess is the word. It's interesting because you and I know each other sort of anecdotally because of our love of music and being in a local scene in Portland where people just come and they kiss the air, the cheeks. Hey, how's it going? High five. It's mm-hmm. not that it's superficial. I think people really genuinely do love and appreciate and like each other and like being in that environment, but usually it's in a club. Usually it's five minutes in passing. Usually there's never really a chance to have a deep, meaningful conversation. And it seems like we do these drive by (laughs) deep comments when we do have a chance to connect beyond just, Hey, what's going on. And, but I do know and follow your Facebook posts and other things. And we have had moments where we've had a chance to talk about this. It's something that's near and dear to my heart. And I will say, given that most people don't always want to go there because it is work or it is people are afraid or it does imply that they have to be something or do something different other than who they are. I appreciate you being a person in the world who is willing to and does the introspection to such a degree that you're just honest about it and you don't really, it seems that you don't really, um, the effect of that and the outcome of that is not your concern. You're doing you. Yeah. Uh, just to speak a little bit about club going, you know, I, I started to feel 
over the years. You know, I have my very close friends that I spend more time with in the clubs and I do, you know, as a musician and a performer, you have to have like shorthand conversations with people because if you don't, your time will get monopolized and you may not make your show or you may not get home in time to do something or you've got to have the next day after the performance that, okay, lobby call or, you know, like <laughs> your daughter's, you know, recital the next day or something like that. So some of the superficiality is, is I have to keep with that. However, like I do actually like to get into deeper conversations with people and, you know, it's not deep about like what kind of drink that you're drinking that night or how much you like whiskey or something. It's more about like, who are you and, and where do you come from? And what is it that you're, what is it that you seek in life and where you, it's more than just religion or politics. It's deeper than that. You know, it's, it's something that's like, well, why do you think that way? And then why that? And then why that? And then why that? You know, to like achieve mutual understanding about something with somebody is like a, it's a very high goal of mine. So do you feel that people when you're out in the clubs, so, so black and blue, they've been around for a long time and you've been with them for how many years? Um, I've been with black and blue since 2013. So so 2013. So you've had some time. You've toured many, many places. You've seen many different people and have experienced many different assets of um, the music industry, just given the layers of where you've had to play or where you've had to show up. Do you feel that people are willing to go there? Do you feel like they're interested in being more introspective or does it make them uncomfortable? I think so far... I've the percentage of people willing to go there and that in that environment is pretty low. You know, it's like the and it's it's not shocking because people are out ready to have some fun and stuff like that. And I what I what I've found more of is like people that kind of think they want to go there but they're faking it. You know, they're not really digging in. You know, and then the next question is so have you done any personal work, you know? And they're like, what's that? You know, and not, and not to judge any of that, you know, it's like everybody has their own experience. So I've, I've tried to, you know, I see that some people are trying to go there and, and I don't put myself above them in any way. What I think people get is like, they get the Facebook affirmations and they, you know, they might've read like a pamphlet right. or something about, and, you know, to really go into a deep dive about something, it, Sort of, it takes like a natural like introspection, you know, the, a curiosity about yourself, you know, and where where I see it go right away is, oh yes, I'm totally introspective, and my last relationship, so and so did this, and it's all now it's <laughs> it's projecting, and what right. you know, and I, I've done that too, you know, I project and then I talk about like what's happened in my relationships and stuff like that, but you know, like what I, I think for me, what I'm trying to achieve in these conversations is how do I affect the world and how does that person affect what I'm wanting or how is it, how do I have an impact in the world rather than just complaining or just, you know, drinking my nights away or whatever like that. I mean, definitely I've had my party moments for sure um, in excess sometimes, but I think, you know, getting to a deep place without substances is really important, you know, because the conscious journey of all that is, is really hard. 
it's hard, it's harder work and it's harder to maintain that without, you know, some sort of substance to get you there. And if you want the lasting effect of, of having that deeper self, you know, without a joint or without some psilocybin or without some acid, you actually have to dig in. You have to manually do it. You have to, you know, set the computer down and paint a picture. You know, you have to put pencil to paper, write about yourself, read that thing. You know, you have to talk about it. You have to get to that point of where you would normally ignore the pain and hold it. And like the healing starts when you can face that thing. Whereas in your human mind, what it does is like, I, as I work through some of these painful moments for myself, it'll trick me and it'll make me avoid it. And uh, when, when I work with a really good therapist, they're like, hey, you were getting ready to say this, but you said something else. What were you gonna say there when you said something else? And then you say that thing. And the next thing you know, it's Niagara Falls. And you're like, well, why did I, why did I avoid that? You know, And finding that process to be able to stay there yourself is very difficult so that you can process pain or process joy, you know, for that matter. Sometimes people just avoid joy. You'll be talking about something and you'll feel joyous and then you'll avoid it. So when you talk about doing the work, quote unquote, because I look at it as part of being a human being and the experience of having the opportunity to explore and be curious and look deeper because, wow, how lucky that we can do that. And I know people want to avoid pain or feelings or confronting themselves. So I guess the term work becomes a cliche that everybody uses. And I know what it means and I understand what it means, but what does it mean to you when you describe doing the work? What does that entail? To me, doing the work is like, actually and there it's it's taking the processes that we all learn and actually doing them it's like it's literally it's you know a lot of times people just want to sit in the sports car and rev the engine and they're like yeah this is amazing and they get out and they go dude that's so cool you know oh man i was really close to going fast there but i didn't even put the car in gear you know and when you're doing the work right when you're actually in those processes and someone you know, sometimes it's someone else holding you accountable to those feelings, you know, and not avoiding it, you know, really that's the case. It's like, you got to put the clutch in, put the car in drive and face that thing, whatever it is. I love that analogy. That's great. Whatever the feeling that it is that you're feeling like, I'm going to use joy because too many times people go down. That's like, if I feel my, my real feelings, I'll be sad a lot of times people just avoid the joy too. It's like, they're not just avoiding the painful stuff. If you experience the actual joy, it'll lead you to that place where it seems scary. You know, it's like, oh man, I'm really facing life here. You know, and for myself, uh, sometimes I won't even let myself feel joy. You know, I'll be... I'm happy, what's wrong? it's like, (laughs) why am I crying? You know, know? well, I'm happy, you know? And And I think a lot of men experience that. It's like, it's like stable or angry and you know something really great happens and they're like oh you can't even do that oh why can't i do this and, da, da, da. and you're like whoa whoa, whoa 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 hold on a second you just did this this and this and that usually would elicit a happy feeling why are you upset well because they didn't give me this this and this 
it's like, well, dude, you just won like thousand dollars in the lottery. Yeah, but I'm going to have to pay half of it in taxes and blah, 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 or something like that. You'll look at this, this wonderful thing that you should feel joyous about. Or you may want to feel joyous about it. I mean, I shouldn't say should, but typically people would feel happy when they win the lottery. But somehow you'll come up with all these reasons why it's not a happy moment. You think it's different for men? I love that you brought that up because my experience is that men tend to either they don't really understand or there's a clumsiness or the fear is so great or they just really don't know or understand the emotional uh, terrain and how to navigate it and what it means outside of being stable or angry. And there's just as many emotions in the spectrum of how we can feel, like the loss, the love, the fear, the pain, the joy, all of it. And of course, the conditioning is, you know, huge, but I have heard about the Mankind Project and I actually looked into it and it seems like an amazing resource for, for men. Do you want to talk about like what you think men need or what they're missing or what is it on the other side of fear or just then maybe go into the mankind project and how that's helped you, know, you? um uh, i'll say first before i go into this is that i'm i'm no expert i've been studying this stuff by studying myself for a long time but i think one of the things i i'll talk about conditioning first like a lot of the conditioning i got when i was growing up with men was that like are we allowed to curse on this? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. There's no tip jar even. Just swear away. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, <laughs> Swear jar. Don't be a fucking pussy. Okay, yeah. Why are you being such a wimp? You get, in, get your ass in there, suck it up and do it. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you being a baby? You know, that kind of thing. There's that conditioning of shame where you're feeling, I mean, like for me, for me I've always been a more sensitive, introspective, like empathic kind of person. And that's not valued in our society. You know, I have, I have a strong intellect and I have like emotional intelligence that was innate in me. And I had like not only physical ability, you know, and like intuition and stuff like that, but like my physical ability and my work sort of compartmentalized and separated and like this is what you're good at here and this is what you're good at here we don't need that here so you don't need that here just listen to me and do as i say you know and there's this sort of like i'll tell you when you can use that part of you i'll tell you when you can use that part of and men and women both do that to each other i think women do that probably less for sure but men and women are very like especially women who are like trying to make it in the man's world you know they're trying to have a career they have adopted that sort of toxic masculinity of of like you may feel this when when i tell you you may feel it you may do this other thing when you and so everybody's kind of walking around compartmentalized kind of holding their condition you know their emotion or like their abilities back until someone says now you can do it and so my the way i've experienced that in the world is it's like you know i walk around very anxious a lot you know i'm not sure what i should do you know and and like at times i feel like emotionally overwhelmed but then i stuff it down you know 
uh, or by a use and that feeling and that message over and over again throughout my life in society and sometimes in the home and stuff like that it it really it stifled me you know and once I started realizing you know when I when I started doing counseling on a regular basis about nine years ago um, I was always in like I said I was always introspective always a songwriter putting thoughts down on in a in a page in a page really like getting it out uh asserting myself emotionally with music um and singing and and dancing and all that stuff but like asserting myself emotionally with a partner or friends that can handle that kind of thing you know that that can really it it, it took me many many years for that to even develop and it was it was really after the point that i was you know doing counseling and did you have any spiritual or emotional uh, leaders or people you looked up to or, you know, examples to provide some measure of what it could look like? Spiritual, not so much. I, I was raised sort of half Christian and I, I did some things where I went to like, I went to seminary for the Mormon church just to check it out and see what it was about and I didn't really find much spiritual connection there. You know, it's, it's a funny thing for me, you know, and maybe a lot of people don't feel that. Well, no, spiritual, I don't necessarily mean religious either. Right. Yeah. I think there was, there was a couple of people that started leading me into a spiritual place. You know, my guitar teacher, Matt Brasso was, he was really into like, you know, Buddhism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Some of the tenets of that, you know, which were, I think kind of religious, they started sparking me of going like, oh, well, like this religion is doing this in this area and this religion is doing that in that area. And that's part of like the way they see the world, you know, like there's something about Buddhism that's like, there's, there's, there seems to be many gods, but there's like, there's abundance there, you know, but like if you have this harsh and sort of like punishing punitive God in the, in the Abrahamic, ones and they're from the desert and it's not plentiful there right you know so like there's there's differences like the way those religions developed and i started seeing those connections and i started seeing sort of like a human element to the way religious texts were written and so i started kind of going like okay so what you start to feel the empathy for like the people who were receiving this divine information in some way and trying to convey it in the way that they knew how without science and without understanding probably 99.999% of the rest of the, of the, of the globe, you know, they're just this sort of divinely inspired spirit writing down something with a, you know, whatever they wrote with in those days. I mean, to me, it feels like that's what art is. That feels like when you're on stage, you know, and you're hanging out and having a, a moment with the crowd and connecting and in your zone and you're jamming your ass off and you're in the music and the crowd is reciprocating and there's that energy. I have never really performed like that the way you have, yeah. but I have heard about that a transference of energy. We feeding off the crowd and the crowd feeds off of you. And I would imagine that all of that 
form of expression, you know, the download that came in some form at one time yeah, <laughs> through yeah. biblical times. But to me, it's showing up right now in this day and age with just uh, all, all the artists, all the creativity, all the, um, I mean, it's a gift. I think being able to play music like that is a gift because you can pretty much play anything. I've seen you, you're, you're so amazing. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's just beautiful to see people that are just so connected and and into it. Um, and I don't know, it must be cool. Like when you go out and you tour, and you're and for maybe it's not spiritual or uh, expressive or artistic for everybody. Some people just like to play and just like to get on stage. It probably doesn't mean as much to some people. I don't I don't know. Do you find that like people in the music business or all over the board with that or people in the business or I mean, I think it's all over the board. That's for sure. You know, I, I, I can really only speak for myself when I perform, you know, like that there is a conscious awareness that there is that give and take. And I yeah. think one of the ways that I get that give and take happening, I, I try, like, here's the performer, here's the audience. I'll run right up to the edge of the stage and just push. Like, like that's my imagination of like putting energy forward right. so that they have to go like this and then come forward. Because right. then the next thing of like, I'll, I'll watch the person in the front row when I come right up to the front of the stage and go, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever exclamation I, I shout. Yeah. I'll watch them go like this. And then the next thing is to go like that you know, to come back. And all of a sudden I feel that, you know, whether it's yeah. a little bit of air or actual energy or whatever, I'm not exactly sure. I can't quantify it because it's not scientific. Are you playing by memory or are you playing by feeling? Are you playing by energy or all three? Everything. Yeah. Every little bit way I can play. Like if I don't do a certain, you know, if I'm not moving, if I have to stand still, sometimes I make mistakes. So like if I, if I have to stand still and play something I play a million times that I'm usually like playing live and moving and dancing and stuff, I'll make mistakes. So I have to, I have to continue moving while I'm playing music. Some of it's feeling, some of it's emotional, some of it's intellect, some of it's, I think a really true spiritually connected performer draws on all of that, you know, and they're like, they're letting, and, and it's, and it's literally like a draw. You know, you're feeling it. Okay, now I need to do this. And it just moves organically. And you can see the people who sort of aren't digging in that deeply. You know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect or anything. It's like, I'm, I think I'm speaking of like, like Steve I or Joe Satriani or those guys that really have like this really high level of play, their spirit and their intellect and their everything, their, their id, <laughs> their yes. ego it's all working all together, like connected. And you know, I hear Steve Vai talking, like he's, he's one of those guys that's just so deep in what he does. And he's, he's very humble though. You know, he knows it so well. Sometimes I'm sure people think he's arrogant, but he's got this depth to him that it's really striking and remarkable. I think Satriani's the same way. You know, he really just has this connection uh, much deeper to in the world not they're not only in themselves and figuring it out they're perceiving how the world might perceive it as a fan rather than like just 
rather than just like putting it out there and being like, I know you're going to love this, you know, uh, it's a little different for them. Do you see yourself as a guitar player? Like when you think of your identities, I know you're a father, a caring father. And um, how else would you describe yourself if you were to describe your identities? Where are you in your life? I'm, I think all those things, like they definitely like complete me, you know, as like the, I think probably just being on the earth, you know, living my experience, you know, um, I can't, I, I, I always have trouble with this, you know, like what's my identity, I guess, a man, you know, I like a musician, you know, I, and I think the reason I identify as a musician is not because I chose it. It was sort yeah. of there. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant sort of like, you know, like I, I, I imagine myself as this archaeologist with like a toothbrush, you know, trying to like find this, you know, fossil because it's already there. The wiring's there. And I remember when it awoken, what's the word? I remember oh, when it, know, when it woke up, awakened. awakened. Yeah. Um, I use that analogy in my book. Uh, me, myself, and I, I talk about that, that we're just trying to get back to finding our own dig sites. <laughs> yeah. We're just trying to find our own lost civilizations when we come back to ourselves. Yeah, I, I agree. And the, I'm, I'm, it's a constant uncovering, you know, the, the closer I can get to the reasons I started playing music or the reasons I wanted to be a dad, you know, there's a whole, like, you know, like the societal expectation of a guy, you know, who's, who's, a, who's a father, you're supposed to make money, you're supposed to do this stuff, you're supposed to earn more than so-and-so, and you're supposed to drive this kind of car if you've been this age. And and this at this point in your life, you're supposed to, like, have a midlife crisis. And, you know, <laughs> you know that's what guys do. And you're such a guy, you know. It's like, no, that's not me at all. And I, I feel people, like, try to prescribe your life for you. And what I've been doing is like putting those prescriptions down and like really going after, you know, what I want and, you know, trying to decide what is the prescription and what is what I am and what I see for myself and how I want to arrive there. And if I can get a little closer to that each day, that's, that's my goal. What do you want? Um, I think I, what I want is to be continually growing as an artist, performer, musician, and father. And um, however that form takes hold, you know, sometimes isn't my business. You know, I, I have to like sort of arrive in the world and take it as it comes. Um, but long form, I mean, I'd love to be like, I mean, my highest musical goal is like, I want to be able to, to be in a band that's big enough to play Wembley Stadium <laughs> uh, and that kind of venue on a regular basis. You know, I want to be able to, you know, and then all the ancillary things that, that lead up to that, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm putting myself on, on stage at Wembley Stadium and, or, you know, like Rock and Rio or something like that, it's like, what are all the things that, that, that add up to that? And, First of all, it's like also a professional musician, you know, making sure your body's in like athletic shape so that you can handle that kind of physical rigor 
of playing on big stages like that on a regular basis, traveling, um, you know, having your life in order in a business way that makes sure that the financial part that supports all that is, is in the right place. You have a home when you come home. <laughs> and it's uh, that is definitely what I want for myself. If I don't achieve that, I'm okay with it. But I'm actively working towards being that kind of musician. So, so what's been one of your greatest rock and roll moments thus far that you would say uh, maybe wasn't Wembley, but you would go, that was fucking awesome. And it's going to go down in the epic <laughs> book of epic all time. <laughs> I think they were kind of smaller moments, you know, like so far, like one of my most prized musical experiences was um, my, my guitar hero is, is Marty Friedman from Megadeth. And he, he used to play Megadeth. He's now more of a solo artist. And he also plays for Japanese artists domestically in Japan. Um, and, but I, I, in 2003, I got to take lessons with him and audition for his band, sort of in the process. He was, he was in a transitional state from, he was like, he left Megadeth in 2000. I think it was the year 2000. And he tried a few things for a couple of years. And then in 2003, the very beginning of 2003, he moved to Japan. And he's like, I've always wanted to do this. And so I'm going to do it. And while he was there, sort of like before he started touring and having like a real life there, he was starting to try to put his solo band together. And I got to audition. And it was, it was a six-month process of convincing him that I was worthy of an audition. And was I even going to be in Japan? And I time I was married to a Japanese woman that we, we traveled to Japan every year and so I discussed it with him and we, we had three meetings and each meeting was progressively more intense you know as far as like the musical uh, expectation and you know I, I didn't end up getting the gig because he needed someone who was much more experienced than me I had just been really like fresh out of music school and didn't really have all that much experience as far as like what he was doing. I could play, but I couldn't play like I'd been touring for 25 years. And right. so the that's a certain kind of ability you have to have. And he sort of step by step showed me like, hey, this is what you have to be able to do. And one of his one of the things he said to me was I just said, so if I'm going to try to get a gig like this, long term what would you say i have to do and his his words to me were be studio tight the day you arrive for your audition you're not going to get a chance to to rehearse with the band you have to you have to show up with the expectation that you will not get to rehearse because they might be hiding they might be hiding gigs from you that they, that they're not sharing with the public yet but as soon as they drop you got an airline ticket in your email and you're on the road and you might have to go into the studio the next day and record an album. You know, you get, okay, cool. Audition. Well, we weren't telling anybody about this, but we're starting to record the record. So, you know, we'll see you tomorrow, bright and early. Here's the disc, learn these songs. See you, see you at 8 a.m. And it's 9 p.m. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, so you have to, whatever, you know, that's not a direct quote of what he said to me, but it really got me thinking about what I want as a musician and started putting me on that path to 
being able to create music in that way at a really high level, you know, and I don't, you know, like I said, I don't really know. I can't scientifically measure if I'm at that <laughs> high of a level yet, but that's my goal. And that's what I want to do. I want to make music that high level. And, um, it's pretty phenomenal to watch you play and well, it's, it's fun. It's um, you're, you're engaged and, and I don't mean uh, just with what you're playing. I mean, I feel like there's, you're so into it. There, every, every motion, every note, every, all of it comes to life. And with identity, which is so funny that you're playing with black and blue, because I grew up in LA and when I was 18 or 19, I, I went to all the clubs, Troubadour, uh, Rainbow, Roxy. And I was in that scene and I saw black and blue a lot. When I, yes. I mean, it's not something I ever really wanted to share with you because it sounds like so lame, but it's oh, true. Okay. So Jamie St. James and, um, Patrick and um, they were all like they played with a lot of the guys that I hung out with rat and uh, they were it was a scene like I was a part of that whole rush and that whole wave and that whole scene and I remember going and seeing black and blue when they had just started out at the troubadour there were some really cool shows but I relate my coming of age time in my life and that childhood time into young adulthood with going and seeing these bands so black and blue is very much part of my long ago long ago identity i didn't get a chance to see when you guys played here in portland i don't remember what happened i think i was i was uh sick or something i really wanted to go because i wanted to see what it was all about 30 years later or 20 years later whatever it is oh wait a minute how would it be it would be I was 18. <laughs> I love an English. I do words. I don't do numbers. <laughs> well, I think the Troubadour show, like when they first moved down there, it was like 1983. It yeah, was 1982. Sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. 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 And that would be, am I allowed to say that out loud? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's 37 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. But um, I think it's cool that as you play and as you evolve, you're on the path of discovery along the way, because no matter what we're doing in our life, whatever we're engaged in, whatever hobbies or whatever life fulfilling things we're doing or whatever sole purpose we're trying to fulfill, the main thing is that we're discovering about ourselves along the way. And I feel like you take advantage of those moments. You don't let them go by. And we are at a place where everything's changed. And so how has this COVID 2020 impacted you and how you see yourself and what you're up to and what you're thinking about these days, what your experiences? Um, COVID-19, it affected me in that I lost some gigs um, for most of the year. And I just started focusing on other work. You know, I've I've always been a multi- you know, you said multifaceted and that's true. I mean, like I, I've, I've always been able to sort of, okay, well, I've got this job and it doesn't make me enough money to meet my, to meet my goals to my needs. So I get another job. Anything that bubbles up, I look at it and go, okay, is this going to help me in my long-term goals? No. Okay. Done. You know, it's like minority report. Nope. 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 I need this. Put that here. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to, so when I, 
when the, the COVID-19 happened, I just sort of like hyper did that. And I was like, okay, well, I can go online and sort of go fishing all the time and make, you know, try to see if I can get, you know, a bunch of people to watch me and send me, you know, 15, 20 bucks, you know, do tipping and stuff like that. Or I can just go out and earn, you know? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out and earn because I'm not going to guess at what I can get right now. This is not a time for guessing for me. I need to have like solid work. This many minutes equals this many dollars equals this many bills paid. And so I just started working 12, 14, 15, 16 hours a day, however long it took to meet the needs and to you know, get the bills paid. And so I, I really focused on paying down debt and I paid down a whole credit card basically from max limit to zero. And That's I paid, fantastic. You know, I paid for like, you know, auto repairs and, um, you know, some, some uh, back, other back bills that were really important. Um, and I, I just got myself basically to even, you know, I have a, a car payment still, but it's only 65 bucks a month. So it's not really that much. Anyway, that's my next goal, you know, and I have a couple other like block uh, of blocks of money I need to pay off that. So that's been my goal. You know, I just, music is all still happening. You know, I've made two videos I've made. You know. Oh yeah, let's talk about the loyal order. Like that's yeah. a great. I can't believe how. I, well, I can. I mean, it's yeah. amazing, and that song is amazing, and that video is amazing, and Jeff is amazing, and the whole band is amazing. And I saw yeah. you guys on Kevin's show, All Access oh, yeah. Live with Kevin Rankin, mm-hmm. and um, so interesting how it all came about. So tell us about the loyal order and the fact that it's getting this radio play, and what you're what you're up to with that band. Well, uh, the Loyal Order is um, it's it's a project that Jeff and I started, you know, uh, sort of like 2012. It was starting off as like a, a studio project, and it made it made waves right away. You know, we we were really shocked at how much it it got people's attention, and they were just like, "Wow, this song's really good." I mean, it was, that song was ready for dead. Nope. This was uh, Off the Grid. This is a song the that, that we wrote. Uh, Rob Dacre wrote uh, Ready for Dead and you know, submitted that for us to, to play. And, um, but the, the, verse, the first thing that we, Jeff and I did was we played with John Thayer, Tommy mm-hmm. Thayer's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really liked each other from that moment. And, you know, Jeff, come and, hey, he had come uh, and played with Appetite for Deception on a gig. And, you know, we just started playing together more often. We did uh, right when we started the Low Order. We had just done a tour with with Delana, and uh, right as the tour was wrapping up, he had gotten a call from um, this guy named Jeff Coxon, and he was starting a hunting show, and he wanted us to write the theme song for it. So that song off the grid got played for two years on uh, Comcast Sportsnet Northwest, which is a, a NBC affiliate out here so mm-hmm. you know that was pretty cool to have like the very first song we ever write together be on tv right for for two seasons and so we we did that and then it was just like wow you know let's let's see if we can write another one of those and we wrote another one uh and then another one and then we just started kind of we noticed that the songs were getting strong reactions 
you know, and you know, these strong reactions, it's not your buddy just going, Oh, nice song, dude. Yeah. It was more than that. It was just like, well, who wrote this song? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, Brandon did. And it's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, yeah. this is really good. You know, those yeah. kinds of reactions and it's, it's kind of a shocked look, a shocked response. And I think for me, when I, when I hear the songs, because it doesn't seem, and this could be a sweeping generalization, but it seems that music is sort of in a really weird place, like in terms of the rock category or whatever, that yeah. it's either progressive or it's, um, you know, I don't really get that driving, hard-hitting rock that I grew up hearing. And it seems like you guys have that sound, that particular sound that's familiar from the music I grew up listening to in terms of rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely something that we love. I mean, he and I, we're, like, example, like, I'm in Black and Blue and he's in Rough Cut. You know, those are two of the seminal bands of that era. You know, if it wasn't for those two bands, you know, it w- there wouldn't be a rat, you know, or there wouldn't be like a, I mean, like currently Pete Holmes is now playing in rat. So, you know, that's like, like those two bands are definitely like scene markers. You know, they weren't, they didn't end up blowing up and being super famous, but the, 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 uh, the cult following for those bands has lasted 30 some years, you know, right. 35, 36, 37 years. And, you know, there's still people that come out to see us and like, I remember the first time I saw you at Troubadour or wherever. I remember you on tour and da 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 da, da. And like, oh, wow. And, and I was like, well, I wasn't in the band. And they're like, I don't care. You know? <laughs> well, it's because so, it's embedded into the, the identity story. Like yeah. seeing those bands, it's embedded into the identity story. So we, you know, we take that, you know, I think it's not that we take it and apply it. It's just, that's how we talk. You know, there's something about how Jeff and I talk together that that kind of energy is there we were both also into like the thrash metal and you know we were both into you know 90s rock and i think that's the thing i really like about jeff is like we're both into all kinds of stuff we're not we don't limit ourselves to i'm into metal or i'm into this or i'm into that right it's like nope it's aerosmith it's the beatles it's Stones. you know any band that hates each other like megadeth and metallica we're into both of them you know and you know right. we're into the you know, like whatever it is that, I mean, for me, I'll listen to the Bee Gees and Fiona Apple and Jewel and then right, put, on, exactly. put on Slayer and the Eagles and Metallica, Sepultura. Like, it doesn't really matter to me just as long as I identify with it, you know, or I like relate to it. So, and I think Jeff's that way too. He's, he's kind of that, you know, really dynamic thinker. He doesn't, he doesn't limit himself to what input he will get because it's not cool or whatever, or that's a girl band or whatever. Who cares? How many views has your video had? Cause it seems like it's some crazy ass number. I can't believe it. I, I watched it the first day I previewed. I was like, wow, this is really good. But I don't think I could have imagined like now today, how many views? It's uh, it's over a million. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure the number, but it's over a million. And we, the, you know, we put it out. And it got a bunch, like 200,000 views in the first year. And then over the last several months, we didn't put any, you know, like the way you get views is like you put out a sponsored ad, you know, and we didn't put any more money in to get a million views than we did to get 200,000. Yeah. We just actually, we put less in because it sparked all of a sudden people were watching it. You know, we didn't know why it just, it just happened. And next thing you know, we're watching it go up 10,000 at a time. And That's we're just like, amazing. Oh 
I know. That's so cool. Who's watching this, you know? I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> More hey. than my mom and Uncle Fred. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And that, you know, that the development of how Jeff and I did that, you know, we, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're cultists, but, you know, we watch those kinds of things. We watch how people engage with each other. And, you know, we watch, I think he watches a certain type of thing. I watch, you know, because we're different, you know, we're not the same, but I watch how Dave Grohl interacts with his audience. And I watch the, the songs that they're putting out. And I watch how other artists do that, you know, not just Dave, you know, like James Hetfield's another one of those guys. You know, he's just a, he's a songwriter and, a, and an artist. And the way he brings himself to the audience is with a lot of love, you know. I've heard James can be a jerk and he used to be like kind of a really hard, shy person. And then he went through, he was actually one of the people that inspired me to go through therapy because, you know, he had anger issues and stuff like that. And you watch that some kind of monster video and it was like, wow, he really like, he came out categorically different than he did when he went in, you know, he, he cleaned up from drugs and he recognized that there were systems in him that were causing that and the systems from the exterior that like, I'm allowing myself to do too much of this. So now I'm drinking to cope with that. So uh, I have to shift my life and what I'm willing to accept to keep that at bay, you know, those, those systems that make me drink or make me angry or whatever. And that, that me noticing that was like, okay, Dave Grohl seems to be kind of like, he's like always been just a happy go luck guy and very successful and whatever he puts his mind to, he can get there. And, you know, James can do that too, but he had that alcoholism that really held him back. And I was like, well, how do I get from this, you know, where I don't feel really good all the time. And I'm not necessarily drinking, but I don't, I'm not happy. How do I get from this to like this Dave Grohl kind of thing? And it's everything. You know, you have to just really dig deep into yourself. And, you know, I think Jeff does that too. You know, he really knows how to dig deep. And, and so I think if, if the reason that we're connecting and having like, I don't know if it's a meteoric rise or anything like that, but it's, it's definitely like surprising to me how much people are liking it and how much they're willing to help us, you know, win contests. So glad. I'm so happy for you because yeah. you've worked so hard. And um, thank you it's going to be exciting to see what, what comes from this. I mean, you could very well when things open back up sometime next year, I mean, it's a wide open field. Everything is possible. You could be doing the major tour. I would not be surprised if that, you know, if that happened. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me, you know, like we're getting, we're getting offers to do stuff and wanting that, you know, I definitely want to have those things happen. Um, it's, we, we have, we have an offer to go play somewhere soon. Um, that's, it's not solid yet, but it's kind of leaning towards that direction. Uh, I'm sure I'll let you know in on it when it's, when it's solid, but (laughs) I I can't um, wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I think it takes all of this showing up, all of this being in the world, all of this being in front of people, being an artist, being in music, willing to sacrifice or to navigate or to compromise, to find the path and the direction that brings you the most fulfillment. I don't think it's about happiness. I think happiness is over 
rated in that people strive for some false ideal of something. And if they don't achieve it, then everything else is less than. So I would say to me, it's all about fulfillment. So to have the capacity to show up for yourself and engage and, and look and explore is like a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I think, I don't want to say, especially for a man, because that sounds really awful, (laughs) but I do feel that, you know, men, less they're misguided or over culture, culturally saturated hearts, uh, to some degree, but it does take a lot to show up in this life. I think in this way. Yeah. You know, the, the, I, I do agree, you know, like for me, like being able to do this, the only really way I was able to make it work for me is to show up in every aspect of my life, you know, because there's something about the way I am that if I don't show up that way, it doesn't mean it does. I don't feel that fulfillment. I, you know, happy is an emotion. You know, I feel happy right now and it's transitory. You know, the next moment you'll feel something different, you know, and, and you know, once that passes another emotion, another emotion, you know, like, but like fulfillment comes from like, you know, conscious receiving the world and putting yourself out in the world as much as you can in the way that you want to. And the, those happy emotions, when they are more frequent in number, you know, that's sort of where fulfillment starts to come out. But to maintain that kind of fulfillment, you have to keep working. You can't just stop. And that's where I think a lot of people like miss. They're like, I'm happy. Cool. And then creativity stops and, you know, happy relationships in their marriage stop. They've got tons of money. They're happy but they can't be fulfilled anywhere else, you know, because they stopped trying to grow. Whereas like, you know, I look at someone like Dave Grohl and somehow that guy seems to be fulfilled and he keeps growing. He keeps, like he keeps putting out vital music. How do you do that when you're in your fifties? And the only way to do that to me is to remain vital in all the areas of your life. You know, you remain vital and, you know, your financial areas, you remain vital in your, your relationship with your kids, you remain vital in relationship with yourself, like your body, you know, how much intellectual stimulation you give yourself. Do you sit around and watch the news all day or do you read books that, that cultivate spirit and cultivate life and, and humor and, and not only that, creativity, you know, and you have to have something to say, you know, you reach a certain level and all of a sudden you don't have anything to say it's most likely because you're not putting input in at least that's been my experience you know i've seen a lot of artists they sort of get into this place where they're like why won't people listen to my music anymore you know why why am i not doing well at you know radio okay what's your life like you know know, are you just going out on tour and bludging yourself or do you have a fulfilling life when you get home you know and i I've noticed that trend in people and when they're the, the person, the, the major artists where their life isn't fulfilling at home or like outside of, you know, their normal creativity or they're just playing in the same band for a hundred years. And they're those songs, like you're trying to be inspired by yourself and it's like, uh, you know, or by your old records. And it's like, that doesn't inspire me at all. So I'm constantly working on other projects and, doing other things that makes when I go to write my own songs they're vital you know they feel good to me 
to write, you know, because I haven't just been working on metal. I'll like go work on a pop song or, you know, I'll go work on, you know, playing funk with some punk band or something. That's and, great. I mean, we should be, I don't, I don't believe that the, the old dog new tricks adage. I think that's a bullshit um you know what i mean it's like you should always be learning you should always be expanding stretching growing getting out of your comfort zone because of course we don't want to be uncomfortable that's not like the place we like to go but i will say that expression exploration through expression how amazing and interesting and possible everything becomes when you start to dive in creatively through expression yeah the you know the one of the i mean just to talk about like um mankind project for a second you know for for me being around other men that can express themselves emotionally you know i express myself emotionally through music and learning to because i didn't really have like great emotional connections with my you know male superiors or like elders in my family you know both my grandfathers died before i was born um you know the other two grandpas not really super connected to me both my fathers were my stepfather my father was you know distant and my stepfather he worked all the time and my older brother was you know we were left to our own devices and you know didn't really have like a very close emotional connection so you know be me being around and so i was left to express my emotions through music Mm -hmm. and now you know learning to express myself verbally around other men you know, like learning to trust men as a, as a sort of a, a connection point to the world. I didn't really have that until in my forties, you know, so it's actually enabling me to be better expressive, you know, and create better connections with men and other people. All my relationships are improving because of this kind of communication. And not only that, like as I'm in, I'm in my mid forties and I'm writing the best music I've ever written and it's it's connecting with people still you know how do you stay relevant that's a the, the best the best thing that is to try the best thing you can do is try to answer that question every day how do I stay relevant and it's basically down to I feel x y and z emotion and really feeling it, really holding it and not trying to push it away or be scared of you know feeling it you know, or be a scared, be, you know, to deny yourself the right to feel scared, you know, deny yourself the right to feel sad, you know, people do that all the time. And I just, I just feel so much empathy for them because it's like, Hey man, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, you know, be giddy, you know, it's okay to, you know, be so happy. You can't control yourself instead of like, step up or lift control that, you know, I'm cool. You know, uh, what would not- you say to, if you could, you had a, a room full of men and you had the opportunity to impart something or inspire them in some way, what would be something you wish they would know? Emotion is healthy. Um, being the, you know, being every color that you can experience an emotion is really healthy, you know, um, you know, all the shades in between, you know, that you can't see with your eyes, you know, you can't even describe, just decide whether you're glad or happy, 
or happier, you know, exploding with joy, you know, like you have to see all the shades in between and feel them all nuanced and like organic and how they change. And, you know, when you're experiencing something, this emotion happens, you know, that is a good thing. And it really helps you connect with other people because when you really get into feeling those things, that's where empathy comes from. You know, like I hear, I hear about, you know, relationships being nearly 60% in divorce, you know, like marriages. And then I hear people talk about what they went through in their divorce. They don't even talk about emotion. They talk about pissed off or I hate that X, Y, and Z, you know, expletive name that, you know, and even women are that way too. They, they're like, my ex did this to me. And it's this, there's always this victim stuff between men and women. They're like, they're victimizing each other instead of connecting with each other. Right. And, you know, the, the, the remaining 40%, they don't even have it figured out. They're really struggling. They're still struggling because the way society trains us, you know, the way what's acceptable to express, you know, and for me, I've kind of, I put that baggage away. I'm not going to take society and let them tell me what I can and can't express. Do I share it with everybody? No. But what I do do is talk with people who are willing to talk about it. And, and if they're interested in why I am the way I am, you know, with all the problems that I currently have, how I maintain um, my life and uh, a happy vibe and like connect with people and willingness to share emotion and, and whatever in whatever capacity it is and just be real. That takes a lot of work to just be real, quote unquote. Right. You know, it's really difficult to just be real because we're told every day that if you're real, you'll die essentially if this if you're real with this person well then this this will happen and this will happen and oh, oh my god if you do that you know you you might die you know it's like no it's just it's fake you know it's not true and so really getting down to the stripping away all the bs and learning to just be real and connect with somebody man that just it changes your life and it changes my life. And I'm to bring it back to the creativity piece. It allows me to be more real when I play my guitar and it allows me to be more real when I open my mouth to sing, you know, if I sing a, you know, a, a George Michael song, you know, like God have faith, you know, what's he going through when he's singing that song, you know, uh, you know what's 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 Brett Michaels going through when he sings "Talk Dirty to Me"? You know, <laughs> and, and like I have to sing that song sometimes, and it's it's always funny to me. It's like, wow, well, why is he singing that? You know, what made him write this great song that that connects with everybody? You know, it's like he's just wanting to have some fun. You know, with, <laughs> with his partner, you know, his sexual partner or whatever. And you know, then uh, alternatively, why? Why? Why is Everlong so connecting? Is a is a song by the Foo Fighters, and when I have to sing that, I think I get to answer that question internally better because I'm I don't know I'm really 
try to connect with that emotion and then put it out there. And, you know, like I said, I don't know if I'm always connecting with my audience all that well, but it's definitely better than it was when I wasn't doing that stuff. Well, I I see it and I I feel it. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate how you show up in the world and how you brave being seen and how you share what's in your heart. And thank you. Yeah, it means a lot to me. I I do. I take in everything that you when you put yourself out there, I I take it in. Thank you. You know, it's 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 and I just. I really appreciate that because it's a, it's taken a long time to, you know, I've, I've, I've lost a lot of like, you know, even partners that I, that I really loved a lot. And because I, I, I didn't feel like that was the way I wanted to live anymore. Music, musical situations and all kinds of things, because I wanted to strive higher to express myself in a, in a better way and live in the world in a different way. You know, and it's hard. It's painful sometimes to 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 live your best life. You're not alone. Yeah, right. And, and that's that's another really great part of it. It's like to get out of that bullshit. You know that you know, or subjugating myself to someone else's pain. That's called being codependent, by the way. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, leaving that codependent kind of thing behind. Where you know. Some people call that selfish, you know, where you're like, you're more about yourself and more about what you need. That's selfish. And that's just what people shame you with when they don't want to be left behind. The more you get closer to people that really live live their best life, they understand. And, you know, everybody's a lot more happy and a lot more fulfilled. Well, we're just uh, elevating all the time and if we're open and and making room for it and i will say that uh for people that want to get in touch with you and hear your music and it's just brandon cook or is it brandon cook music right brandon um, cook. my uh my website is brandoncookmusic.com and i'm brandon cook on facebook uh, i have a fan page that's uh if, if you're interested in lessons or just chit-chatting or whatever, um, message message me on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Brandon Cook uh, underscore BNB. If you're interested in uh, musical stuff, loyalorder.com, theloyalorder.com. It's um, we're the Loyal Order on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, yeah, the the new record comes out on July 17th. Oh my God, that's going to be awesome. It's really so exciting. I'm very excited and happy for you. And uh, yeah, for everybody else, he's got some great videos. You should check him out. And most, uh, yeah, there's just so much there that he's doing and giving and throwing himself out there. (laughs) It's been (laughs) fun to watch. So I appreciate it. And um, yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I've had a fantastic time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. For questions or comments, reach me at janalopez.com. And when you're having a moment of identity doubt, 
just remember that seeing is relieving. 